You got something? What's that? Yeah, we looked at Saul on the road to Damascus. Yes, Mandy. Yes, God. Can can anybody tell me what the points were? Nick, what is it? Okay, that's right. Good job. Give him a hand. He did a good job. He took notes. He's, he's well versed in what we talked about. Yeah, that's exactly what we talked about, guys. We talked about the idea that every single one of us is on a journey. And if you remember, this, this whole idea of the journey comes from what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 when he's, when he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He says in verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So we talked about the fact that every one of us, at some point in time, we make a choice on which one of those paths we're going to walk on. Whether we're going to walk with the world and we're going to walk on that path that is wide and that path that is easy and just go with the flow and make easy choices in our life. Or whether or not we're going to have that encounter with Christ and we're going to decide to enter through that narrow gate and walk on that narrow path that path that gets difficult, that path that sometimes gets hard for us. And we looked at Saul because Saul was a man who thought he was on a mission for God until Jesus got his attention and helped him understand that he wasn't actually serving God at all. He was doing what he thought God wanted him to do, but he had to have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ before he was actually on the narrow path. He had to meet Jesus, and then he had to make a decision, a decision that every one of us, if you have not already made, you will make whether or not you're going to enter that narrow path through Jesus Christ or whether or not you're just going to follow on the wide road the way most of the rest of the world does. So tonight, we're going to kind of camp out there a little bit because if you remember, one of the points that Nick pointed out was that our journey, this journey on the narrow path, is going to require other people. So that's where we're going to talk about tonight because that requiring other people, there's going to be times in your journey with God that you're going to have the opportunity to come alongside somebody that's also walking with God and to encourage them and to engage them and to help them along in their journey. There's going to be times when you need somebody to do that for you, when you need that encouragement, when you need somebody to come beside you and lift you up and help you keep taking those steps that you're trying to take every single day. But before we get too far into that, I need six volunteers. Nick, come here. I'm not picking you, bloody nose. Jacob, come here. Bethany, come here. Justin, come here. He's telling me to pick you, Yop. You want to come up here? All right, one, two, three, four, five. I need another girl. I got to have another girl. Alyssa, come here. All right, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Have any of you ever played push-up poker before? Okay. Okay, here's, here's the game. This is push-up poker. All of you need to assume the push-up position. Yes, all six of you. Come on, come on, come on. Let's do it, let's do it. You volunteered. Right here in front, assume the push-up position. Here's how push-up poker works. I'm going to draw a card from the deck. You can if you need to. Oh, yeah. I'm going to draw a random card off the top of the deck. Whatever card I draw, are you listening? Whatever card I draw, that's how many push-ups each one of you has to do. If it's a face card, you do ten. 
If it is an ace, you do one. The last person standing or the last person that does all the push-ups wins. Are you ready? First card, eight. Eight. Everybody does eight. Put your butt down, Nick. Okay. You can go down. When you're done with the eight, go down. Next card. Ten. Hey, y'all watch them. Make sure they're doing them. If they're not doing them, they're out. Everybody done? Did you do them all, Alyssa? They kept yelling at me. Next card. Nine. Hey, you, I shuffled them. Yeah, if you if you don't want to do any more, quit. Go sit down. Next card. Two. Next card's two. Next card. One. It's an ace. Next card's a five. Not by my rules. You're done? All right, we got two down. Next card's a seven. <laughs> what you doing, Yop? Seven of them, come on. You can quit at any time. Next card. Ten. <laughs> you sat there and watched me shuffle them. Nick, Nick, do a push-up, boy. Everybody got ten? Hey, hey, Yop, why don't you straighten your back out there, buddy? Next card. Five. Come on. Hey, you can quit anytime you want. You can quit anytime you want. Next card. Three. Is anybody tracking how many they've done? <laughs> Nick, three push-ups. Next card, six. You guys will amaze me if we go through the whole deck. You got to do six. Yeah, I can promise you you've already done more than 52 push-ups. Or you're close. <laughs> Come on, Zach. Come on, Yop. Next card, six. Come on. Come on. Let's do them. You can quit at any time. You can quit at any time. Justin, that's not a push-up. Nick, you got to hurry up, man. I'm going to kick you out just because you're taking too long. Next card, eight. And Justin's done. Anybody else going to join him? All the way down, boys. All the way down. 
Total of eight. Oh, you're shaking. Come on, Yop, you can do it. Who's going to win push-up poker? Did you get, did you get, hey, Yop, did you get him? All right, next card. Six. Come on, West Point. <laughs> yes, all the way down. Nick, keep it straight, man. He's about to be. Are you ready? It's a face card. That means ten. All right, on the count of three, ready? One, two, three, go. Nick, Nick, do a push-up. All you're doing is kissing the floor. <laughs> Come on, ten of them, ten of them. There you go, there you go. Did you get them, Jacob? Hey, should I find a hard card? Nah, you can't finish. You're out. Go. Go. You're done. You're done. Nick. Nick. You better go all the way down. All right. Did you get him, Nick? <laughs> all right. Next card. Three. He's smoking you, Nick. Whoa. Oh, that, oh, wait a minute. Oh, that's a... Ace. One. That's a joker. I won't do that one. That'd just be mean. Whoa! Next card. It's a face card. Ten more. You can quit at any time if you'd like. All right, let's start them. Ready? One, two, three. Nick, that's not a push-up. Two. Nick, I think you're done, buddy. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. You're not doing a push-up, Nick. You got to do all ten. Look at that. There you go. There you go. Oh, uh, come on. Did you get him? All right. All right. So here's what we're going to do. 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 I'm going to draw one more card. The first one that finishes them and does full push-ups wins. Are you ready? You know what? I'm not even going to draw the card. I'm going to let somebody else draw the card. Draw a card. What you got? It's a face card. We got a king. Count them off. And we got a winner. Mr. Zach Yop. Hey, Zach.
You can have any two items off the back table if you'd like them. No, sorry, sorry. Now, you may not be able to lift it, but you can have it if you want it. Hey, hey, y'all give Nick and Zach a round of applause there. They killed it. They killed it. Oh, you got to give him a little credit. He hung in there a little bit. All right. Now, here's what I want to know. How many of you think that if you had come up here, you could have beat them? You think so? I tell you what, I'll make you a deal. When we get done tonight, we'll play again. We'll see how you do. All right. Now, how many of you, hey guys, how many of you think that if you had been told ahead of time what we were going to do, you could have gotten yourself ready and done that no problem? couple of you? I'd say the rest of you, no, no, not me. You see, what? Sure, we'll do that next time. You guys know why I had you do that? If you noticed, if you noticed while they were up here doing push-ups, some of them slowly started to drop out. But if you noticed over here, you had Zach Yop, who was not going to give up. And you had Nick Singletary who was not going to give up. And the reason they weren't going to give up is because they didn't want to lose to the other one. They were determined because there was still somebody else on that floor. I'm assuming that's why you didn't want to give up. There was somebody else on that floor that you're going to beat that person on the floor. You see, a lot of times when we talk about our Christian walk, a lot of times that's what we need in our walk to help us keep going. We need other people. We need somebody that is right there in the thick of things, not necessarily going through the same thing we're going through, but somebody who's going to come beside us and somebody who is going to help us and spur us on in what we're doing. When we talked about this journey, we talked about the idea that we need other people to make this journey. And as we're making this journey with Christ, the place that we will find that people, those people nine times out of ten, is in the church. It's in the body of Christ. It's the way he put it together. See, he, 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 the, the way Christ, scripture, I'm having trouble getting my words out. Scripture calls Christ the head of the church. It calls us his body. And there's certain things that it tells us in scripture that, that we're supposed to do as part of that body. And if you look at Saul, the church became incredibly important to Saul. After he encountered Jesus Christ, if you read through his letters, if you read what he's written in the New Testament you'll see that most of his letters are written to churches. And in most of those letters, he's either encouraging them because they, he wants them to do the things they're doing, or he's admonishing them and telling them, hey, don't do these things that you're starting to do. Come back into what you know to be true about Christ and the way that you know that God wants us to follow him. In fact, he gives us an example of what that looks like in Philippians chapter 2. Tonight, where I want you to turn your Bibles is into Hebrews. That's where we're going to spend most of our time, Hebrews chapter 10. But I want to read for you this example, this way that Paul talks about the, the way that the church is supposed to function. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the mind of love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's see, Paul talks about a bunch of things right here in these first couple of verses. He's talking about having unity of mind. Unity of spirit, the fact that we're supposed to, to, to treat each other with love, that we're supposed to look out for each other and not do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit. You see, the problem for us is most of that doesn't come naturally for us. I mean, think about it. At the beginning of the day, when you wake up nine times out of ten, your first thought is not, how can I serve my parents today? Your first thought is not, how can I help the person that sits next to me in school today? Your first thought is, man, what am I going to wear today? Some of you, oh my goodness, i got to brush my teeth, something died in my mouth. That's the first thought for some of you. But if we're honest with ourselves, the first thoughts in our head every day are about who? Us. Now you're just lying in church. Our thoughts are about us. Because that's our natural bent. That's the way our sin nature makes us think is to be concerned about who we are and what we want to do. But you see, what he's talking about right here is as part of the church, as part of this body of Christ, we're called not to put us first. Now that doesn't mean we ignore us. We still have to take care of us. We have a responsibility there. But it means we're supposed to put others first. We're supposed to think about the needs of others. We're supposed to think about where people are spiritually. And this says if we're walking with Christ, we're on a journey with him, then it's through him, it's through the mindset that Jesus had that we're able to do that. It's through the Holy Spirit working in our lives that we're able to put others first. That we're able to have unity of mind and unity of spirit. That's why Jesus is so important here. That's why the church is so important. That's why Christ is the head of the church, because it's only when we focus on him and we follow him that we're able to actually function the way the church was designed to function. You see, Paul talks about it a little bit more down in Romans chapter 12. Here's how he talks about the church. He says in verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So he's talking about the church as this body. Christ is the head of this body, and every single member of this body has a function. If you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, then you have a function in the body of Christ. You have a function in the church. You have a responsibility. You are there for a purpose. If you're here tonight and you're part of this group, you have a purpose for being a part of this group. And if you don't find and try to fulfill that purpose, then this group is missing something. Then this church body is missing something. It's kind of like meaningless membership. You can come to a church. You can join a church. You can even be baptized. You can sit in every Sunday morning service. You can come on Wednesday nights. You could take notes. Maybe memorize some scripture. 
But if you don't ever step up and take part in what's going on, if you don't find an opportunity to play out your role in the body of Christ, then you're not doing what Christ has called you to do. You can come and you can take notes or you can take a nap or you can daydream, but you're not being a functioning part of the body. Anybody ever had a part of your body fall asleep? I've done that before. I've actually woken up with my arms above my head. And if you ever wake up like that, pretty good chance what happened to me is going to happen to you. You can't move your arms. And it is very hard, unless you have very good stomach muscles, which I unfortunately don't anymore, to sit up in the bed without using your arms to lift yourself up. So I'm laying in bed like this, and I'm, I'm tossing my body trying to get my arms to fall down in front of me just so I can wake them up. You see, at that point in time, when I wake up like that, my arms are useless. They're there. They're a part of my body. I know what they're supposed to do. But while they're asleep, they're not doing me any good, are they? Now, when they're awake, I can do all kinds of stuff. I can use my hands. I can throw stuff. I can lift stuff. I can type stuff. I can do all kinds of things. But only if my arms and my hands are functioning the way they're supposed to be. But you see, in too many churches nowadays, there's too many people that have meaningless membership. There's too many people that show up, sit, and do nothing. We're called to be an active, functioning part of the body of Christ. Because, see, the reality is the church trains us. As we become engaged, as we become a part of that functioning body, it starts to train us to do some things. Just like these guys on the floor right here tonight that are competing with each other, and these ladies, they're working together. If they had known before what we were going to do, they could have had the opportunity to train and get ready. But you see, the things that Christ calls us to do, the church is what equips us to do those things. And when I talk about meaningless membership, just to give you an idea, on any given Sunday morning when we have small groups over in the cafe, we have an average of about 45 people show up. Did you know that there are over 100 people on our rolls that say they're members of our church, that are members of our youth group? That's meaningless membership. That's saying you're a part of it, but then you're not showing up, and you're not actually being a part of it. You're not actually doing what Christ has called you to do in that particular instance. And when that happens, the rest of the body suffers. When I wake up and my arms are asleep... It takes me a long time to get up out of that bed unless I just roll over onto the floor and use my legs. The rest of the body suffers. It's the same way when we say we're a member of a church, we're a member of this body, and we don't actually do anything with that membership. So let's talk about the church. Let's talk about what the church does for us. So the first thing the church does for us is it trains us. The, the, the church trains us to stand firm. Hebrews chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles, if you haven't opened it there yet, turn over to chapter 10, verse 23. The church trains us to do certain things, to equip us to be a part of the body, to equip us to fulfill the function that Christ has given us. And the first thing it does is it trains us <coughs> excuse me, to stand firm. Look at verse 23 of chapter 10 in Hebrews. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now think about that phrase for a second. Hold to our hope, our confession. Hold fast to Christ, to his promised work, without wavering. Think about what that means. 
Think about who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, rose from the grave three days later, ascended into heaven, and he's coming back. Not as a baby, not like he did the first time, but as a soldier. Tells us he's going to come back on a horse with a sword. He's going to have his robe dipped in blood. His name's going to be tattooed on his leg. Jesus is coming back. This is the head of the church that we serve. These are the things that we're supposed to focus on when it says to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. In other words, all of those things we learn in church about God and about Jesus, we're supposed to hold tight to those things. When things start happening in our lives, when friends start asking us to do things that we know don't necessarily honor God, when we start going through troubles and we've got things that we just don't understand, it tells us we're supposed to hold firm. We're supposed to hold fast to our hope, and our hope is in Jesus Christ. And it's in the church where we learn these truths. It's in the church where we taught these things. And there's so many more as you look in Scripture. It's these truths, and as these truths are played out in our lives every single day, that's how we learn to hold fast to them. When something, some tragedy happens in our life, and we cry out to God, God, I don't understand this, why is this happening? And we feel God's presence, then we know we can hold fast to Him. We know we can stand firm in that faith. And as we start living those things out in our lives, those things start overflowing and other people see them in our lives and it starts affecting those around us. The church trains us to do that. It also says in verse 16 and 17, God gives us a couple more promises. It says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says God will forgive us and never forsake us. You see, every time I see somebody who's going through some kind of tragedy or going through something they don't understand in their life, and they're not part of the church body, I don't quite understand how they're able to deal with that situation. What are they holding on to? What are they holding firm to? What truths do they have in their life that assures them that everything's going to be okay no matter what happens? Well, see, the church gives us that. The church teaches us how to do that as we learn to walk with other people who have been where we are right now. And then we get to turn around and we get to share with other people the experiences that we've had and help them walk through those similar situations. It's the connection, it's the body, it's the other members that are right here in this room that help us to do that. The church trains us to stand firm in our faith. It also trains us to engage others. This can be the hard part sometimes. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24, here's what it says. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider. How, how do we do that? Not a rhetorical question. How do we do that? It says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. How do we do that? Be nice to people. Okay? It's a good start. Say kind things to people. What else? I'm not looking for a particular answer. I want to know what you guys think. 
How do we stir one another up? Bible study? Okay. Having Bible study together. Absolutely. Be positive. Yes. Praying. Anybody got anything else? I know they, what's that? Barf. Explain that real quick. What do you mean by barf? Okay. By bringing people? Yeah, I like it. See, barf, barf plays out in all kinds of areas of life. We're just going to leave it at that. It's a good answer. Anything else? What? I can't hear you. Church. What do you mean church? By going to church. Yes. You see, guys, we had probably ten different answers right there on how to stir one another up to love and good works. There is no one right way to do it. We have the opportunity every single day to stir one another up. It tells us there, it also tells us in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, listen to the wording here. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Both times there, it uses the words consider. Consider Jesus. Consider how to stir up. You see, the only way that we can do that, the only way that we can do the Bible studies and have barf where we bring a real friend or do the prayer or do all the different things that you guys mention is if we're focused on Christ, if we're considering Him. When you look at the definition of that word, when you look at the way it was originally written, that word consider means to study or to think about. Any of you guys that like sports, you know that when athletic teams start competing, you will have scouts come from one team to go check out the other teams that they're going to play because they want to know what they're up against. And they're studying them. They're thinking about them. They're getting in their mind exactly how that team functions and how that team thinks so that when they face them, they know what to expect. That's the same kind of verbiage it's talking about right here. It says when we're on a journey with Christ, we have a responsibility to do the same thing with those people who are traveling with us. If we're going to consider how to stir each other up to love and good works, then we've got to study the people around us. Now, that doesn't mean you get creepy and you start stalking them and writing down everything they do at every time of the day. Y'all stop pointing at each other. But it means... It means you, you do have to study people. You have to learn what's going on in their life. You have to spend time with them. You have to get to know them. And as you get to know them, then you're able to understand how to engage that person. As you get to know them, you're able to understand what it is they need in their life. Now, the author uses another word here. In, in the ESV, it says to stir up. That's the translation I'm using here. In the NIV... The word is spur, to stir up or to spur. I went back and looked at the original Greek, and here's what the word is. It's a noun. It's called paroxysmos. Say that with me. Paroxysmos. You've learned a Greek word. Go home and impress your parents. The interesting thing is the meaning of that word. The meaning of that word means to be an irritation. The original word for stir up or to spur in the Greek means to be an irritation. That does not give you license to go home and just irritate the snot out of your parents and say, I'm just doing what Pastor Jesse told me to do. No. You see, that irritation, think about it like this. Think about an oyster. 
that gets that grain of sand in there. And in getting that grain of sand, the oyster shell, whatever it is, yeah, that sand becomes an irritant in that shell. And over time, that irritant gets worked on and gets worked on, and it becomes a what? A pearl. You see, that irritation produces something that's incredibly valuable to us. It's the same thing with this. If Christ has called us to be an irritant, that we're supposed to be in people's lives. We're supposed to stir them up. We're supposed to spur them on to love and good works. What we're doing is something that God wants us to do. You see, because what we're doing is we're helping them become the person that God wants them to be. And in turn, Lord willing, you're allowing someone to do that in your life as well. You see, we can't do that if we're not engaged with each other. If we don't interact with each other. And I'm not talking about just showing up on Wednesday night, hey, how you doing, and then I'm going home after it's over. I'm talking about spending time with each other. I'm talking about this group right here actually talking to the kids in Nitro across the football field. High schoolers engaging with middle schoolers. Doing the Bible studies that you initiate on your own. I'm talking about getting involved in people's lives, getting to know the people in this room outside of the three or four people that you're already comfortable with. To engage one another, to stir one another up. And this process will get uncomfortable. It will. That's why many of us don't want to do it. Because it gets uncomfortable. Because all of a sudden, somebody that I don't know real well is in my business. And asking me questions that I don't want to answer. But you see, we're all part of one body, right? We're all members of the exact same body. And if we can't learn how to function together, we won't ever work the way God has designed us to work. We will never be the body that he has called us to be if we don't learn how to engage each other and do the work that he's called us to do. That's why the church is important because it encourages us and it trains us to engage each other and to engage people outside the church. Yeah, we got to get out of the bubble. Get out of the bubble of the church. Get out of the bubble of school and actually interact with people we don't already know and share Jesus Christ with them. That's what we're called to do. There's one more thing we're going to talk about that it encourages us to do and trains us to do. The church trains us to encourage others. The church trains us to encourage other people. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, usually this verse is used to, to talk about when preachers say it. They say, well, you're not supposed to miss church. It says right there, not neglecting to meet together. Don't miss church. Well, yeah, it does mean that, but it means a whole lot more than that. How many of you guys have seen the movie The Lord of the Rings? You remember the scene where you've got Frodo walking up Mount Doom or crawling up Mount Doom? Yeah, and you got Frodo there with him. Or not Frodo, but you got Sam, excuse me. Sam there with him, and what is Sam doing the whole time? He's encouraging him. Exactly. Hey, listen up, guys. You, 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 missed, you missed what was said in the back of the room here by Lane. 
Sam does encourage him. At one point, that encouragement actually takes on the form of Sam picking up Frodo and carrying him. That's encouragement. That, guys, hey, taking on the burden of somebody else, spurring someone on, lifting them up, encouraging them when they don't think they can do what it is they know they have to do. We learn that in the church. It's a mutual ministry to one another. There's going to be times in your life where you need somebody to come into your life and to speak truth into your life. And to remind you that the junk that you're dealing with, that the choices you've made, that's not the end for you. That God still has a plan for you. That you can make the hard choices you need to make. That you can decide where to go to college and God will answer that question. Maybe not specifically, but you know what God wants you to do most of the time. You see, the church trains us to encourage people. And there may be times in your life where you need that encouragement. You're not just doing it for somebody else. You've got somebody doing it for you. That's why it's so important, important to be a part of the church. And understand this, guys. There, there are so many different ways you can do these things. You can, have, I mean, you can go to Bible studies and they can train you to stand firm and train you to engage others and train you to encourage others. You can go to FCA and it can do that for you. You can go to camp and it can do that for you. But the reality is, that's not the body of Christ. The church, the local, visible body of Christ is what we're talking about. It's what we're called to be a part of, a functioning member. Because this is what Christ died for. It tells us we're his bride. Jesus Christ died on a cross for this. What we're doing right here. Jesus Christ died on a cross so that we could know him. So that we could love him. So that we could hold fast to him. So that we could encourage each other and engage each other and function the way he designed the church to function. So I have a challenge for you tonight. We're going to get up in a minute and we're going to sing. You can stand if you want. You can stay in your seat if you want. But I want to challenge you. Maybe there's somebody in this room tonight that you just feel like you need to pray for. You know there's something going on in their life, they're a friend, whatever, and you just want to pray for them. When the music starts, get up, walk over to them, and pray for them. doesn't have to be big elaborate. Just say, hey, can I pray for you? It's that simple. Maybe there's somebody in here right now that you can encourage Somebody that you've been watching and you've thought, man, I, I, I wish I was able to stand firm like that. I've seen them make some hard choices and I want to be able to do that. Just go encourage them and say, hey, you've been an encouragement to me. It's that simple. But you see, guys, I know it's scary because everybody in here is thinking, I don't want to do that. People are going to think I'm weird. You know what? That's what we're supposed to do. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. But that's how we function as the body. That's how we engage each other. That's how we become the body that Christ has called us to be. And it's right here 
right, in this body, as this group, as a part of this larger church, as a part of the universal church throughout the world, everyone that believes in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection on the cross. That's what we're called to be a part of. So I'm about to pray. And when the band comes up and they start playing, don't stay where you are. You can if you want to, but I challenge you. Go engage somebody in this room. Go encourage somebody in this room. And then when you're done, join the singing. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for the opportunity you give us to be here tonight. God, we thank you for your church. God, thank you that along our journey, as we, as we try to follow you, God, you, um, you give us other people in our lives, Lord, that help us do that. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us. And God, I pray right now that, that whether it starts here tonight or not, God, you will help us to become a group that encourages each other. God, a group that engages each other. God, we love you. If you're here tonight and you're thinking, well, I'm not a part of that body because I've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins. I've never accepted that forgiveness through his death and resurrection. You can change that right here, right now, and become part of that body that Christ is talking about. And if that's you, don't go to anybody else but one of our adults and come talk to them about that because they would love to help you understand what that looks like and help you make that decision tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.